Hi, David. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I, some people don't like to speak to this. I don't know if you would want to comment as far as Taylor Hall, how many discussions you did have with him and, and the nature of the discussions you did have, if there were any. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think it's a good, good, good idea for me to ever discuss anything about who I talked to or who I, who I didn't uh, talk to, I guess. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the On the Four Check podcast. This is uh, episode seven. We're recording this on October 15th. Um, so, yeah, I just before we get started, I did want to thank everybody who's been uh, following us on Twitter and all of you guys who have subscribed to the podcast. Uh, we're really, really thankful for all the support you guys have given us. It's been it's been fantastic. Um, I think as of right now, we're sitting at about 500, over 500 downloads for, for the six episodes so far, which is beyond, I think, what most of us were, were expecting. Um, I do want to say congratulations um, to to Brad Hudson and, and Andrea on Twitter, who were the winners of our prize packs for the getting to 250 Twitter followers. So congratulations to you guys. Um, both of us, both Sean and I do want to say that we will be getting that stuff to you shortly. Um, but yeah, so thank you guys. We really appreciate that. And Today I have with me um, is Sean and, and Nick, both writers at On the Forecheck. And we're wanted to kind of talk about, you know, everything that's happened so far since the draft, um, free agency, some of the trades, things like that. And, you know, I think the good the impetus for this was David Poyle's press conference uh, this morning. And and Sean, um, our our ever present uh, media person, was that was there for that. And so um, I think this would be a good time to kind of go over that and maybe and you know use some of that information to to discuss. So one of the first things I did want to do is talk about real quickly um, some of the free agents that we we signed. And so um, you know if uh, one of you guys wants to start, we can we can you can you know talk about one of the free agents and we'll we'll, we'll discuss a little bit. Well, you know Brian, I appreciate you bringing that up because I'd like to talk about one of our signings, mm -hmm. and that was Mark Borvietsky. Very nice. Um, now, a lot of people have a really hard time saying that last name. Um, so I think yeah. it's important we take a minute now just to review. It's mm -hmm. Borvietsky. 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 Okay. That's coming directly from Mark Borvietsky's mouth. Yes. So yeah. there, there may be sure. others out there who want to interpret it differently and, and say, oh, no, this is how you say it. But the man himself told me, Mark Borvietsky. Yeah, I do think it's funny though that some people struggle with that because the three of us, like, we got it pretty much the first try. Um, yeah, we definitely didn't have to spend no. five ten minutes before that we recorded to figure it out. So no, uh, no, no YouTube practice. videos were watched. Uh, uh -uh. No interviews were listened to. No, definitely All not. All by ourselves, so, like was... big kids. But Sean, I will allow you to take it away and and start with kind of your thoughts on that signing. So here's my thing about Mark Borvietsky is that he's coming from Ottawa. And one of the things that impressed me immediately with him was that he comes very highly recommended from someone that we, as a, at least at on the forecheck, really have a lot of respect for. And that's Julie Turris, who, of course, is the wife of Kyle Turris, who previously played for the Predators and now plays for the Oilers. Um, however, what she was able to tell us very quickly, very to the point, is that we're getting one of the best guys there is in the league uh one of the best people for off ice stuff one of the one of the best people for leadership in the locker room and you know i know that doesn't necessarily mean a lot when you're talking about what's going to happen on the ice 
but I think it means a lot based on what I think the Predators have been looking for as a team and what they want to bring into their locker room. As far as on the ice goes, he's coming in as a third-pairing defender. Now, what I want to say about third-pairing defenders is that I am basically the old man yelling at the cloud on third-pairing defenders because I know that when you're looking at a third-pairing D-man, you're not looking at someone who's going to play like Roman Yossi. I got a lot of criticism when I was reviewing the season for Matt Irwin and Corbinian Holzer because I gave them very bad grades. Now, the reason I gave them very bad grades is because I was grading them against other third-pairing defenders, and in comparison to other third-pairing defenders, they were not very good. And again, the argument is that, well, your third-pairing defenders aren't really there to be you know, shut-down defenders and add to the scoring. But in all reality, the Predators' third-pairing could have gotten a lot better. And I think that by bringing Borvietsky into Nashville – David Poyle has been successful in that because this is a major upgrade. Um, No longer is the third pairing in Nashville going to be something that everybody just dreads and you're going to look, you know, gosh, can we get them out there for maybe no more than 10 minutes per night? And I think with Borvietsky, he plays a much more physical game uh, than we were seeing. And I think he's a much more skilled defender doing things like keeping people from entering the zone and and is willing to go into the tough spots, give hard checks, things like that, that you want to see out of that third pairing. So I think on one half of that third pairing, now you're looking at someone who is much better at playing hockey, much better at being a defender. And realistically, just to bring it all home, I think the addition of Borvietsky, and I'm sure whoever's going to talk about the other third pairing defender next, um, we'll, we'll probably compliment this to say that the third pairing in Nashville is no longer something to be afraid of. I'm not saying that you're going to look for supplemental scoring from them, but I'm going to say that it's not going to be as much of a liability as it had been in the past. Yeah. And I think that's fair to say, cause I know Irwin and, and Holzer were bad. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not quite sure why you got so much flack for that because even in a vacuum, like they weren't very good. And I can, I mean, it's, it's not going to be hard to upgrade from that. And so I'm not, again, I'm not sure maybe why you got so much flack about that one, but uh, Nick, you wanted to add something? I think it's also a very fringe, you know, people too. I think people look at, you know, what Yossi and um, Ryan Ellis do and what Matias Eckholm does and, you know, they think, oh, they're going to be out there 25 minutes a night. And, you know, they don't really need a dynamic third a third pair. That's true to an extent. But at the same time, if you can get your third pair for 15 minutes a night, that that's, that's not only going to give guys like Yossi more of a rest, but you're able to roll three pairs out there, you know, in a critical portion of the game. And that's something the Preds were able to do with Irwin and Weber back in 2007, back in the, or 2017, getting my decades mixed up. It's been a long day. Um, but that's something they were able to do in the Stanley Cup run when Weber and Irwin played really well. And I think they both earned some contract extensions, which brought them to this season. Um, they just really weren't able to keep it up. Um, going back to Borvietsky. Um, I think that most interesting thing that 
I've heard, um, you know, a lot of people talk about locker room guy. Like that's the first thing everybody kind of brings up is the type of person he is. Um, I think somebody said, somebody said on Twitter, Borowiecki's a guy with a lot of character. He's kind of a high character guy. Um, he's a guy who's, you know, does all the interviews kind of like, you know, makes people laugh, kind of a fun presence. That's really not something the Preds have had since PK Subban left. Um, is just kind of the, you know, the guy that keeps everybody light. And, you know, you, you've heard whispers about stuff from the Preds locker room. Who knows if it's true or not? But, you know, you do have to wonder if, you know, with everything going on, like what the complacency level, what the mood is in the locker room. And, you know, a guy like Borowiecki don't count out just what it, you know, I guess the best way to put it is don't count out the impact of having somebody in the locker room. That's just really well liked by everybody. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was what they said about bringing back Cody McLeod. Was it a year and a half, two years ago when they brought right, him back yeah. for that short period and they're like, Oh, it's cause he's a great locker room guy. I'm like, well, that's good. Then keep him in the locker room. But, um, no, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think it's like, I know what you're saying. Yeah, though. like this is if a different you situation. like if you're working in an office, you feel happier about going into the office if you like your coworkers. You know, if you're dreading going in every day, that's either you need a new job or you know you need better coworkers. Um, yeah. So like like I'm definitely not counting out the fact that you know maybe there's just you know Borbieski's a guy who keeps everybody upbeat. You know. One of our biggest criticisms was the Preds last year um, was that, you know, they rode with the highs too high and rode with the lows too low. And, you know, maybe maybe a veteran guy like that, um, you know, is good to stand up and just kind of keep everybody honest all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And I think, again, um, he's he's going to be, I think, a really good I, – I mean, I see him securing a third pair spot and not really – letting go of it. Um, I think honestly, I think he might be a good defense partner for Dante Fabro. Um, but you know, that's that, that would lead into further questions, but I think he's going to be a guy that of, of, of the defensemen that were signed, somebody that we see stay in his spot for the most part of the season. Um, you know, he looks like a guy that could actually produce and actually be a, good player that you know won't have we won't have to see the the carousel like we did where it used to be what Irwin weber back and forth and then this season it was all weber and no Irwin, and so and tenorti um, for some reason yeah so i think that's i think i think this is maybe the closest of these guys that will grab a spot and probably stay there but speaking of defensemen uh, i'd like to talk next about matt benning and um, i had a i had a the chance to talk to um one of our one of our colleagues over at Copper and Blue about Benning, and you know it it's it's a lot of a similar type of a profile. You know there wasn't a ton of um, stuff about like off the ice things that that, that they brought up, but um, one of the things to, to to consider is that he had concussion issues last year, um, and so you know he was in and out of the lineup because of that. And then there were a lot of younger defensemen in in Edmonton. So he didn't get nearly as much time, um, you know, with the team as he as he normally would. But he is 26. I mean, I know a lot of us are used to 
seeing a third pairing defenseman be in his late thirties, but you know, he should have a couple years and, I, and you know, he's a good skater from, from, from what I'm hearing. Um, he's pretty good in his positioning. You're not going to catch him out of position too much, but he's also not a very technical skater, like a, like a Ryan Ellis or a Yossi who can make moves with his body to, to disrupt plays. Uh, and, and he's, he's more physical, you know, he's a physical guy too, but he's not a huge, he's not huge either. So I think there's some, there's some value in that because he's not going to be the bruiser who's going to get in there and start fights or anything. Uh, much like you know, what they, what um, one of our guys from Ottawa said, you know, that uh, Borvietsky was used to be a, a fighter, but he's not anymore. Um, I don't think we're going to see that with, with Benning either, but he's not going to let people push him around either. And so, you know, I think it was a good signing. I'm, I'm actually pretty happy about it. You know, again, all these guys were under 2 million, I believe, and under two years. And so, I mean, I think he's just another one that's going to be a complimentary piece. I think he's one that could move in and out. Um, and yeah, I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on him? One thing I can say is Benning is quite a bit younger than a lot of the, I don't want to say, you know, types of third pairing defenders you see, but typically you're looking at a lot of guys who are getting toward the twilight of their career. So if you look at what's been brought in, you do have in Borvietsky someone who's been playing for a long time, coming into a new team with someone who hasn't been playing for quite as long. So I think you kind of have a complement to one another in that with those two together on the same pairing. Yeah, I think style-wise, you know, you, you can see kind of what they were going for in recreating that, you know, that Irwin-Weber type of pairing where, you know, Borowiecki is kind of the stay-at-home guy. Benning's going to be the guy that you know pushes forward a little bit, carries the puck, um, leads the breakout. So you can kind of see what they're going for there. Um, I, I think it was you know Brian mentioned Benning had some injury issues last year. Uh, I think the year before he actually had a career year points-wise. So um, you know we we've kind of seen glimpses of what he can be when he stays healthy, but. Um, yeah, I, I think the bottom line is with these two guys, these are two guys that can play 15 to 17 minutes a night. Um, and that's something the Preds really haven't been able to do comfortably. And, you know, one, one more thing, I do think another big plus of these two is these are guys, and, and Brian, you hit on this a little bit. These are guys that can play, you know, comfortably anywhere else, you know, in, in the top four, if, if there are injuries or, you know, somebody has to sub out or take a game off for whatever reason. Um, Borvietsky was actually defense partners with Eric Carlson for a couple months. Um, while uh, Mark Mathot went to, where do you go, Dallas? It was, I think the, so. it was the whole expansion draft mm -hmm. shuffle. Um, and then Matt Benning spent some time on the number one line uh, when Oscar Kleffbaum got hurt. So, these are two guys that, you know, you can come from play in, you know, up or down the defensive depth chart. Um, and I think that's something the Preds really weren't able to do a lot last year. Um, so this gives them depth and, and that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, again, I think that, you know, last season going into it, I thought that, you know, it would have been, it was, I, I had hope for Ekholm and Fabro as a pairing, um, and I think that, you know, Ekholm kind of had to play out of his game this this year and why he his numbers weren't nearly as good as they had been. Um, but I think, you know, this is a guy where 
you can move Benning up with Ekholm and then stick Fabro with a guy like Borvietsky and not see a ton of a drop off. You still have Fabro being able to play his game and maybe get a little bit more, uh, let, allow uh, Ekholm to get back to him kind of more what he's he's used to playing again, being more of a stay at home uh, defense type. So I, I'm I'm pretty happy with both of these these defensemen signings. I'm, I'm I can't have much to complain about with these guys. So uh, let's also not count out the fact that Dante Fabro is going to be better next year than he was. This of course, year. I think so. I think so too. So um, the next one we got up is uh, Nick Cousins. Um, and we're going to talk about his play for this part of it. Um, and I'm going to start real quick because I got I got opinions from two different people on this. And this is a lot of this comes from the story um, from probably four days ago now when this when this goes out um, on the 12th. And basically, I got, you know, people from the cover, those players at their old teams. And since he spent first part of the season and, and a lot of his, the first part of his career was with with Montreal. Um, I talked to Jason Paul and he had said that, you know, he was, it was best known for his time with the Canadians as the player who people couldn't figure out why he was on the power play. Um, but he did, he did pretty well. And they said, actually on the power play, he was better than, than Jonathan Druin, which I did not know that. Um, he's not flashy, they said, but his, he's not prone to mistakes on the ice and they traded, but they ended up trading him to Vegas at the deadline, um, for a fourth round pick. So, I then spoke to somebody from uh, GoldenKnightsWatch.com, uh, AJ Alexander, and he said he had a potential to carve out a role for himself where he quickly developed a rep for being a, um, I'm not going to use the term they did, but a, a troublemaker, I guess, or, you know, he's starting things. And he was pretty good in the regular season for them, but then just kind of disappeared in the playoffs. And so they they moved on from him. And I think the the deal that we got is good for that type of a player. And now that we know that, um, you know, his 1.5 million is exactly what uh, another free agent that departed from Nashville was getting. I think you're going to see them play a lot of the same roles. And um, I don't see him as a top or middle six player. I think he's going to probably live pretty reliably on the fourth line. Although some people seem to think he could, he could play up a little bit more, but I think that's kind of be where he's where he settles in. He's going to be that type of a player to, you know, block shots to get in there and just kind of slow the game down. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think with Cousins, he is somebody who plays a very certain role. Um, you know, I think the best, you know, the best equivalent I can maybe think of would maybe be like a very very poor man's Tom Wilson, where. You know, he, he's just kind of the guy that goes out there and causes chaos for two more skilled teammates. Um, and and we'll, we'll talk about this later, but I know we were kind of um, discussing where some of the new additions could fit in on the, uh, the line chart. Cousins is a guy that, you know, you could put with a Forsberg or Johansson um, and, and just have him kind of go out there to handle the forechecking go out there and, you know, make hits, open up space, and then, you know, let those other two skill guys, you know, kind of have a little bit more room to work. Um, I, I do agree with Brian. I think he's going to wind up being a better fit either on the third or fourth line. Uh, probably depends on where Brad Richardson slots in. Um, and that's going to depend on where Luke Cunning slots in. Um, all those guys we get to a little bit later. Um, 
but I, I think he plays a very certain type of role and, and as a dimension the Preds didn't consistently have last season. Right. And his and again, just to be we're going to get into it, but his uh, his comparable is Austin Watson and um, he does nearly everything better, um, you know, just from a hockey standpoint. Uh, he's he's a stronger he's a stronger player on offense. He's better d- defensively. Uh, he's not a, a magnet for penalties. I mean, he he can draw them pretty well, uh, but he's not a he's not going to get called for a, a massive amount. And so, can I, I mean, can I make it, a quick hot take? Yeah, he is the comparable to what the Preds wanted Austin Watson to be. Yes, I, I mean, I, but I don't think he's a comparable to Austin Watson. Yeah, I mean, so like here, one of these things you could you can look at is basically the trust in so Austin, Austin Watson. You know, I think it was uh, 75% of his starts last season and five on five were all defensive zone. Um, it was it was a little over even. I think it was little, he had a little bit more offensive zone starts for Cousins. So, I mean, they trusted him to play in the start in the offensive zone like they never, never had Watson up there. And so you get flexibility. He's not a defensive liability. He can generate some points. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, looking at it from that point, you know, some people, including myself, were kind of wondering why with him and then when they when when the other move was made then it made a little bit more sense and then yeah he's just a guy that i think you can trust a little bit more and again like you said he's probably what they the predators wanted watson to be um so yeah uh, sean did you have anything with for for cousins I, I you know i think nick's hot take kind of made me think about this when he said what he said about this is what the predators wanted austin watson to be do you think, and I could be wrong, and please tell me if I am, because I need someone to do that sometimes. Oh, we'll gladly do it. Oh, good. I was hoping so. Um, here's the thing. Could you see Cousins kind of falling between what the Preds wanted Austin Watson to be and what they were hoping to get out of someone like Ryan Hartman? Oh, you're you're opening up a, a, a deep cut for me. Um <laughs> It's all deep because cut. Hartman is Hartman is head and shoulders above both those guys personally. Um, That's why I said a step between. I, well, yeah, I, think, I mean, I think there's a big difference between what a player is and how he's used. And I think true. you just named two really good examples of that difference. Yeah, I think so. Um, I I think you know, but they gave one of those players a lot of chances at a lot of different positions, and the other one they just bounced around and really didn't. Anyways, again. Um, you can look at my report card from for Ryan Hartman from last season and and get my feelings on it because I think I've ranted about it enough. But yeah, I think that's a good point, Sean. Um, I think he will fall probably somewhere in the middle of that, and hopefully, um, it will be in a role that will be consistent. You'll see him in the lineup. I mean, I think honestly, the the line mate I'd like to see him with would be would be Colton Sissons. I think that's a that's a good fit. Um, you know, Sissons being a, a strong defensive player. This is the you know, in most systems, this would be your like a checking line, your third line. But I think maybe they may go with them as the fourth. I'm not sure. So, but I think that's going to be kind of at least I think that Sissons will be the guy with him at least as one of his line mates. Um, yeah. So, anything else on on, on Nick Cousins? No, no. Okay. Well, welcome to Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Let's talk about Brad Richardson. Well, Ooh. Nick, as you do that. Um, we can talk really quick, and I'm going to let Sean handle this. But if you really want to know a ton about um, uh, Brad Richardson, 
let me direct you to to our, our last episode where where Sean sat down and had a discussion, you know, straight from the source of talking about him. Uh, so we'll go quickly over him, but I think you know, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already, and I think you get to hear a ton of awesome information about that. Yeah, let me say a few things. Um, number one, go back and take a listen to the the episode that focuses specifically on Brad Richardson, which is episode six. I spoke with Carl Pavlock of Five for Howling, uh, which is the site that covers the Arizona Coyotes. And one of the things he said that I, and I, again, I could, I spent 20 minutes talking about him before I could do it again. One of the things that Carl said about Richardson that I think really, I don't know, kind of helped clarify, you know, what this signing came for and why they brought this person in specifically was that he is good in his role, which at least from what I was told is expected to be a fourth line center. Um, now at the same time, he is someone that in a pinch can play up and that doesn't mean that when he plays up, he's going to, you know, produce at the level of the people he's playing with, but he is also, um, going to be able to support them and play responsibly. And that's, that's, I think a really good player to have in your uh, toolbox. If you know what I mean, going into a season as someone that is more than willing to play the role on the fourth line and play it well, but at the same time in a pinch can be moved around the lineup and to fill in really nicely wherever you need them to. Um, the other thing I can say based on the conversation I had with Carl was that he brings a lot of energy to the locker room, um, similar to what you're going to see out of Borvietsky. And I think that's, again, I think Brian mentioned earlier, that's something that I think's kind of been lacking since Subban uh, was traded away. So, I mean, those two things, he's, yeah, he's not going to be a big scorer, but he's also not going to be a liability out there. He can contribute to scoring um, as, you know, with assists and things like that. Um, he may, you know, get a few goals and, and, and do well and be fine with that. But realistically, you're looking at someone who's versatile. Yeah. And, you know, really, we can look back. I mean, you know, the Predators have some recent experience um, with him scoring while the Predators were on the ice. And so maybe well, he can translate that, that over. So. Yeah. Um, but no, let's go back, listen to episode six. Um, Sean and Carl did a great job. You can get a lot more in-depth information on on Brad Richardson. I like I like the signing more after listening to it. And so I hope you guys do too. Those were the free agent signings. Um, we talked about Cunning a little bit. Um, in episode five, uh, Sean and I did. So I wanted to kind of go and look at the guys who left. And uh, this morning during the press conference, I believe um, somebody had asked about, you know, Poyle, that Nashville had nine players um, leave this this offseason, which is pretty, pretty significant. Um, and, you know, I wanted to go over them and just talk kind of briefly about them and what I want you guys to keep in mind is really is how, how important do you think that player was for the team? Um, was their value replaced by, by trade or by, by free agency? And, you know, these players, why do you think they went elsewhere? And so I'm going to start with, with, with Craig Smith, but as the person who's been really most vocal about it, I'm going to let you guys dig into that one because everybody's heard enough of me about Craig Smith. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like there's some parts of the story that we're not going to publicly know. Um, you know, the sense that I got for it was 
I don't know if it was the Predators who wanted to move on for him or if Craig Smith was just done um, wanting to go somewhere else. And honestly, probably maybe a little bit of both. Um, and, and you know what? Good, good for Craig Smith because I think we, we've talked about this a lot of times. Craig Smith, I think, is a guy who can be a missing piece to a team on the verge of a Stanley Cup. Um, and that, that's kind of what I see Boston as. Um, he just, you know, is a really good third or second line, depending on, you know, the rest of your personnel winger who does a lot of things well. Um, and and I, I think I'm trying to think of the best way to put this because there are a lot of people obviously upset that he's gone. Uh, a couple of them in this podcast right now. Um, I think Craig Smith is a fantastic player. I just don't think he was the end-all, be-all to what the Predators needed right now. And I think that's kind of the best way to sum it up. And Sean, what do you what do you think on this? I, I'm in a very similar school of thought to Nick. And I, I think I don't know how mutual it was. And I don't really want to speculate on that. But from what I heard with Craig Smith speaking with the Boston media after he signed was he complimented Boston's players on the fact that they always seemed like they wanted to win. And if you're coming from a situation on a team where I know that not just people with our organization on the forecheck, but other media outlets as well. And of course the very vocal fan base on Twitter would, would say it doesn't look like this team wants to win. And while you can, look at stats and you can make the argument that, well, you know, they're, they're out there as professional, you know, hockey players, clearly they want to win. Why would they not want to win? Uh, you know, the difference being it does sure didn't seem like it. You didn't see a lot of effort, like riding the highs too high, riding the lows too low. And then of course the unfortunate turtling that was the death of so many uh, big leads. So I think, that compliment to Boston was kind of a, a backhanded compliment and, and the backhanded part of it was a slap in the face to, to Nashville as it stood with, I think he was kind of tired of being the guy that, that was doing a lot of the work when he didn't feel like everyone else was. And go ahead. Yeah, to be, to be fair. And, and you're right. I mean, I think him taking a, what, three, 3.2 million or something in a three year deal. I mean, it that was, was less yeah, than, was pay that cut. Was, yeah, it was a pay cut. And I think that said a lot about it. Um, this that was Boston's a team that is a couple pieces away. I do, I I do laugh and then kind of silently cry when I see a lot of Boston fans being like, oh, "We just we we really didn't do as much as we should have in this free, you know in free agency." Like we just you know we really did that need, need that need that one more piece. And I'm like, "You guys got Craig? Like just be thankful, please." Like I've come to peace with the fact that he's gone. And yes, you know. He is this season. He had a year that was just like unlike any other in his career. Um, a lot of it was statistics, like you know, analytics based. But you know, again, I can't te- I can't say that you know, I fully expect him to go to Boston and score like 27, 28 goals, if not more. Um, but again, we also we knew what we were getting out of Craig Smith year in year out. You know, twenty goals that was the thing. You know, except for the one bad year. Uh, he was a 20 goal scorer and people were like, yeah, okay, good. You have a, a consistent 20 goal scorer, but don't you want somebody better? And I, you know, my, my retort to that is 
you know, how many consistent 20 goal scorers does Nashville have? I mean, consistent, you know? And so, you know, that's only 12, no, it's only 14 goals short of the franchise record, which is still mind boggling to me, but I am happy that he's going to get a chance to win, win a cup. I think Um, seeing the pay cut kind of told me all I needed to know that I think maybe Nashville didn't necessarily want to push hard to get him back. And I don't know that Craig was ready to to come back. I think, you know, just with the way, maybe if, if the team told him what their plans were for this free agency, then, you know, that decision probably was even easier because, you know, I can kind of understand why he would want to go. So, yeah. And I think, you know, again, I don't think you're going to replace his value. I think you want to hope that a guy like him, who's a volume shooter, you're going to get that out of Tolvanen. Um, but, you know, I think he was a guy that, for for Poyle mentioning wanting to have players that, you know, some players had down years and you want them to do better. He also shipped off several players that performed really well and had career years. So it was a little confusing, but I can understand it and that's fine. Um, and speaking of players that had good years and what moved elsewhere, we'll talk about Nick Benino. It's hard for me to to find the words because I feel like more than anyone else, uh, was a champion of Nick Medino and supported his role on the ice. I mean, from the start. And I, I really feel like I, I look, I, I don't want to get emotional. I want to try not to get emotional. Um, it's but, okay, buddy. But We're re- here. Realistically, I having the opportunity to, to go to the locker room after games and to talk to the players, Benino always, was going to be the guy they sent out there after a loss because he was always willing to, I don't want to say stand. He usually sat down for his interviews, but he was always willing to sit there and talk to you and give you honest answers, thoughtful answers, insightful answers, and not just, you know, go with the company line of, Oh, we need to, we need to do better. Um, get but pucks actually, on net. Yeah. Get, get pucks on the net and, and stuff like that. So it, it's, when you have a player like that, that also produces on the ice and then they, and they get shipped off. Uh, it, it's hard. It's really hard, but I understand why they did it in the sense that he was one of the players that had value that they would be able to get something back for. And in that yeah. sense, I understand it. I just don't like it. Yeah. I mean, clearly there, his value is never going to be as high as it was this off season. Well, uh, trade deadline last season, but... trade deadline last season, but that's, a, that's a whole other Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the thing with Benino is I, I, don't think he was going to be back next year was the last year in his contract. And I don't think he was going to be brought back or I don't think he was going to resign whichever way you want to look at that. Yeah. I don't think uh, so either. No. And, and I think, you know, at this case, it's like, well, in that case, since his value is high, let's not, let's just see if we can get an asset. And they did that in, in Cunning. And, you know, Cunning is very raw. Um, but I, I think he can eventually be that Nick Benino type player. So th- that's, yeah, that's definitely, that's what you have to do. If you're in a position like Poyle is, you know, kind of look at what you have right now. And if you don't see them as a piece of your puzzle long-term, then you have to flip them for somebody who is going to be, or who might be. And, yeah. and, and that's what they did here. Definitely. And again, as I'll speak from the other side of Sean, the saying, I didn't like the signing. 
I didn't like him for the first year, year and a half. Um, and then I started writing for OTF and started criticizing him a little bit more. And then by the time last season ended and I did the report card, I realized like, yeah, nope, this is going to be the guy that I'm going to very loudly and publicly eat crow on because I think Sean said this the other day that he, besides Philip Forsberg, was probably the most valuable forward on the team the last two years. And, you know, looking at it from a GM standpoint, he was probably one of the best, you know, free agent signings that that Nashville has had in recent recent years. And uh, like you guys both said, it, it made business. It was a good business decision to make. I hate to see it, um, but it's just one of those that, they, you know, again, they're going to lose him next season. He's he's up in age. And so I think it was just kind of one of those that I, it happened and it makes sense. It is hard to see a guy like that go. Um, who quickly stepped in and kind of adopted the atmosphere got to you know he was he was guys that the fans liked and so yeah it's 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 unfortunate but you know i can tell you this like i with smith i it's going to be very hard to replace the value that nick nino brought both on offense but more mostly on defense because he was probably one of the best two-way players that nashville had and so um i think you know sean you spoke with carl a little bit on on the last episode about benino getting all that PK time and that, and that, um, you know, uh, Richardson could step in and do that. So I hope he does, but he's just got pretty big shoes to fill on that one. So I'm going to move on real quick for the next one. And we'll talk about, um, Mikhail Grandland, which curiously has not still not signed. Um, he was the guy that was projected being a younger guy to project to get like a seven year, $7 million deal. And, and we haven't really heard anything about what's going on with him. So, um, I want to kind of hit this one quickly. Um, you know, yeah, either you guys want to talk about Granlin? Yeah, I mean, I think he played very well under Hines second half of the year. I would go as far to say he was maybe the best forward at times the Preds had under Hines in that little January to February stretch run. Um, but he didn't do really anything in the postseason, and I think that's just – was enough for Poyle to kind of just throw their his hands up and say, okay, this just simply didn't work out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, that's basically all there is to it. It was just a signing that didn't work out. Where I don't know where he's going, and I don't know why he hasn't signed because clearly he's a guy with a history of high scoring. Um, and a history of creating a lot of good chances for other players. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this is a money thing. I mean, we've seen, you know, Taylor Hall sign for one year. Um, we Now we're hearing stuff that Mike Hoffman might take a one-year deal. So I don't know if it's just a general money thing that he's not waiting for. I don't know if there's a lack of interest given his, you know, poor last couple of years. But, um, you know, I think wherever he winds up, there, uh, some team is going to get a very good, valuable player. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of it is, too, is they said that there's not been – there's been like three uh, contracts handed out that were six years or longer. And because, again, because of the flat cap and everything, that's – it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm one of the few people that didn't hate the Fiala and Granlin trade. And I can say this because – Yes, like we're seeing what Kevin Fiala is doing right now, and that's great. And he's starting to look more and more like the player that 
the Predators drafted, what we saw flashes of at times. Um, but I don't say this as, be- as, a, as a hit on Fiala or me overly praising Grandland, but I think Fiala was done developing in Nashville. And, you know, looking at the, the history of how forwards develop in Nashville, I don't think that it was ever going to be more than what he was. And so this made sense. I, I thought that Grandland was going to be a very good kind of all-around type forward um, who's, you know, a great shooter, but also really excellent, you know, passing. And so I just don't think it ever worked out. I think he was at his best when he played with Duchesne and Forsberg. Um, but once Forsberg came off that line, Grandland, you know, struggled a little bit. And then he came, got back into his own right at the end of the season, February. Um, and then everything stopped. And so, yeah, I don't, you know, I think the Preds knew what the price was going to be, or at least what they wanted. And knew it just wasn't possible, especially with the plan that they have in place, it seems like. So, you know, it's it's hard to lose a player like that, even though he kind of underachieved. But, I, you know, this is one of those those free agents that, yeah, I wish they would have traded him at the deadline. But other than that, I mean, this was one of those that you just kind of had to let go because you got, you, got a, you got time with him. It just didn't seem to gel. And so I think it was a good... Uh, you know, good decision to move on, even though I think he still is a very good player. And um, yeah, so Sean, did you want to add anything to, to Grandland? I really just agree with what both of you said. I don't feel like I could say anything without just repeating. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, that's perfect. Good. Um, I'm going to talk about Colin Blackwell. Yes, he was an AHL player. Um, he wasn't, you know, he got you know, probably a third of the season up with, with the Predators. And, you know, he's a guy that you think, well, if it's an AHL player, you know, if you lose that guy, oh, well. Um, But I really, I watched a ton of film on him for the report card. And if there was anybody who was ready to make that move from the AHL to the NHL, like in the system right now, aside for like maybe Tomasino, Colin Blackwell was it. And, he was a sm- he's a super smart player. He's he's got great vision. Um, he's willing to he's willing to chase pucks. He's strong, he's a pretty decent forechecker. He, you know, he just knows where to be at all times. And I thought this was a no brainer resign. Uh, again, that brings up the question: Did he want to come back? Um, but he seemed like a guy that was genuinely happy to be in Nashville. And you know, I, I I'm really mystified by why they didn't sign him. Now, granted. Can they replace his value? Probably they can, um, but it's going to be, you know, it's a free agent it's not a young player coming off his first contract that you can have for at a cheap price. I mean, the Rangers signed him for like what, seven fifty, So it's not like it was a money thing. I mean, I think you could have used him and had a really solid player to move into your third line or your second line, even at, in times because he played extremely well and with a huge, you know, a huge different um, group of, of line mates. And so uh, unless you guys disagree on this one, I mean, this is one again. Yes, I don't understand it. I don't can't believe that they did it. Can you replace the value? Probably. Again, he was an HL player, but it just it didn't make sense at all. So it, this him resigning was seems to fit the strategy that they're doing and they just didn't. So I'm not going to necessarily disagree, but I am going to play devil's advocate here. I, I think one possibility wasn't that they didn't like Blackwell, but I think there's people in the organization 
whether Milwaukee or the juniors, that they saw as a more viable option for Blackwell's role than Blackwell. And I know Coyle mentioned some specific AHL names during his presser today. Um, we'll get into that later, but, you know, there's Rem Pitlick, Michael McCarron, um, you know, a couple other guys he mentioned. I, I don't think this was a personal thing against Colin Blackwell. I think this was more of there's players in the organization the Preds liked better. To that point, I think Trennan was that guy, and Trennan is a player that's got a higher ceiling. You know that he is going to be a scorer. He's going to be a guy that a winger that you can get in there and eventually be like a second line player. And I think the whole KHL thing forced Nashville into giving him that one way deal. And then I think that maybe kind of maybe signed the you know signed Blackwell's you know, saying like, yeah, you're, I think you're not going to be able to come back. Cause I think Blackwell saw that and was like, yeah, I think I've earned a one-way contract too. And I don't think they, they agreed with that. And so again, I can understand it. I think Trenton's a really great player and I'm glad that he's going to be on the roster. I just hope, th- I don't think he's as complete, but he does have a higher ceiling. So I hope that's how it works out. It would have been great to have them both, but you know, oh, well, I'm going to miss his, his hunger games looking beard uh, in Nashville. So, um, Next up is another one that again was we we were big fans of here in in Nashville and that's that's Kyle Turris. Um, I'll start out by saying that last year was his worst year for production. I mean, it was just probably the worst year in his career. Um, it was rough. It wasn't helped by the fact that he was bounced up and down the lineup. He was healthy, scratched for a while, and just really, you know, I think from the beginning, I think he knew that he was the consolation prize from the first time Poyle tried to get Duchesne. Um, and yeah, so part of it, I do think that he came into the system to a coach that wasn't necessarily fond of him, didn't use his talents well, but he also did have a bad year. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to separate my personal feelings about it, but I mean, the buyout was coming and no one was going to take him. And so it, if it had to happen, it had to happen. And I, I understand why this does again fit with the philosophy of what they've been doing. And, you know, as much as I hate to say it, there's a good chance that they can replace the value. I don't know that it's there yet, but you know, he was, he was bad on defense. I mean, he was on par with, with Arvidsson as far as playing defense, unfortunately. And so um, just didn't have that Arvidsson scoring touch. So, I don't like it, but uh, it's one of those that was inevitable. We knew it was coming, and so kind of made my peace with it early. Yeah, now, Sean, I'll let you start this. Well, let me ask you this question, Brian. You said that no one was going to take that contract. Mm-hmm. Would you have taken that contract if you were the GM of another team? Uh, no. I mean, that's. I think that they knew. I think really more than anything, I think they're, you know, we see Ed, I saw Edmonton sign him really quickly. Um, but I think they also knew that it was very obvious that Nashville, you know, the rumors had been that it's been the last year and a half that they've been trying to trade him. And so I think they all knew they're like, well, why should we trade for him when we know Nashville's backed into a corner about him? We know they don't like him. And so we can just wait and wait for them to cut him and, and try to get him that way. And so that's what happened. So yeah, I don't 
I don't really blame other teams for not wanting to get him. I guess, I guess for me, it's just the, the idea is that if you know no one else is willing to take on the contract, it's just become a bad contract. And your only option is to tie up all of that money for the next few years and hope that maybe you can get some kind of production or to just part ways with it and have to kind of be stuck with what I'm calling the ghost of Kyle Turris on your, on your uh, cap sheet for a few more years than you would already have had him on there. Um, I, I feel like they probably made the best choice they could have made given the situation. I don't like saying that. I won't sleep well tonight knowing that I said that. But in all reality, I think you said it yourself, no one was going to take that contract. Yep. And so when you're in that position, you kind of have to do what you got to do. Where I can make peace with it is the fact that he got bought out, which means he gets paid, and mm-hmm. he's able to go on and sign another contract that will allow him to play and make up some more of that money that he will miss out on. So I feel yeah. like it's worked out well for him. Um, I really hope that Edmonton is a place where he and his family can settle while their kids are still young and enjoy um, more of his career there and in a better way than they were able to enjoy it in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't have much more to add to what Sean said. Um, you know, it kind of is, it kind of reminds you of a situation maybe where there just had been too much that had happened between him and, you know, whether it was Laviolette or management, whatever that situation was. I think there's just too much that had happened to kind of have, you know, a healthy relationship going forward with the team. Um, and that's completely understandable. Um, you know, I think one more year on the team wouldn't have hurt considering where the cap is now. But, you know, you, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um he didn't work out for whatever reason. So I think I agree with Sean. I think it's just best for both parties to move on. Yeah. Yeah. That's your, that's dead on. And I'm going to say two things real fast and then we're going to move on. But one looking at the lineup as it is right now, where would he have fit in with this new lineup? I don't see it anywhere at this point, unless they wanted to put him back on the wing with Duchesne. He doesn't fit this new lineup look at all so yeah and the second thing is is julie Turris, we love you we're gonna miss you um you and kyle both and you know we've always been big fans of you guys so i hope it goes much much better for you in edmonton um and then last but not least um i'm going to play a i'm gonna add in a little bit a snippet of poil's press conference this morning and then nick is going to um say a little bit of something about this player and then we're going to go to ad break so um i'm going to have the uh clip right now what was the impetus behind trading austin watson seeing as he is the kind of player or he is similar to the kind of player rather that you have acquired so far this offseason yeah it just uh not to that's fair to think that that could be a contradiction but we just felt uh in uh uh our own evaluations and uh, why he's been kind of a little bit in and out of the lineup, uh, uh, both uh, under uh, Peter Lavalette and, and John Hines. And I think he was maybe a little bit of 
you know, stuck in where he was at. I think that by moving him that obviously we try somebody else. So that's another change. And we have younger guys that uh, we think can replace uh, Wadi and, you know, Janot or Olivier, McCarron, bring those type of elements to his game. And I, I really think kind of, I guess, my personal situation, it wouldn't have been great to have Wadi not, it wasn't perfect when he was not dressing all, of, all the time because he felt he could play or what have you. And that gets old for the player and it gets old for the team. And I think we, we feel by allowing him to go to Ottawa where he actually played for the coach, DJ Smith, and they don't have that element. They need that element that this probably gives Wadi the best chance for his career to, to, uh, to take off. So it was, you know, it was a tough decision because again, that he, he did represent, as you just said, the, you know, that physical element that we were trying to put more into our lineup, but we think we have that covered with these other guys and hope that that works out good for us. And we certainly hope it works out good for Wadi in Ottawa. All right. So yeah, that was kind of the, what Poyle had to say about the move that surprised a lot of people um, moving, moving Austin Watson to Ottawa in exchange for a fourth round pick. And so we're going to let Nick handle this one and, and say that, say that, and we'll move to, to the break. Yeah. Um, obviously all of us who've covered the team or follow the team, you know, know the history of, of Austin Watson's tenure in Nashville. So we're not going to get that much into it tonight. The only thing that we will say is that um, Austin and, and Jen and their family seem to be in a very good spot right now, a very healthy spot. They seem happy with the direction that they are going. And that's really all we ask. And that's all that we here at On the Forecheck really care about is their happiness and well-being. Um, and so I'll leave it at that. Um, uh, for Watson, the player, you know, we've, we've said a lot about that. Um, you know, everybody's opinion is going to be different. But all we can say is we wish the family well in Ottawa. And Austin probably will get a better chance to play there than he did here. Um, and hopefully he'll be able to move on from both a hockey standpoint and with his family. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, wish them the best. So well, well said, Nick, and thank you for that. And that, that leads us into our, our, our ad break. And so um, we're going to take a slight break here. You're going to hear some, some ads from our, um, from SB nation and box media. And then after that, we'll be right back with some more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back from that fun ad break. I hope you heard about some interesting things you could take a look into if you have the time. Um, we are back now with the On the Forecheck podcast. And one of the things that we're going to talk about now is the press conference today with general manager of the team, David Poyle. Now, I had the opportunity to sit in on this press conference. I was able to ask questions. I feel like David was able to address pretty much everything anyone wanted to know. I feel like he was very upfront about things. Um, so we wanted to talk about some of the major takeaways from that media availability. And we're going to start with uh, the first question that we're going to discuss is not necessarily the first question that was asked at the conference, but it actually came a little bit later. And go ahead and I'm going to let Brian take it away and, and play this for you so you can hear what 
David had to say. David, just kind of going a little back, back a little bit to Robbie's question. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the performance of the top guys. How much did that factor in? Kind of was that a, a little bit of a wild card for you, knowing that maybe you can bank on, hey, these guys get better next year. We don't have to really make a humongous move to the, you know, or big splash to, you know, to 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 get better, but rather just get better with what we already have, knowing that these guys can perform a lot better than they did last year. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like I said it a couple of times. I mean, we, we it's a, you know, another cliche, but you, you always win with your your best players being your your best players. And at different times last year, that was that was not the not the case. So, like I say, I, you know, we've we maybe taken a little bit of step back from the most skillful lineup we've ever had to more of a balance between the the, the will and the skill and. The types of players that we've signed in this offseason but uh, you know as i said before like if, just on a statistical standpoint our top five or six forwards last year all had down years in terms of what would be an average or a normal season for them and you know i've never been part of something like that and having said after that we were still pretty pretty competitive just imagine if we could have four or five players that either equal their their norm or a couple of guys that have career years it's a whole different uh, you know, feeling that we're going to have about our team and individuals. And it's, for me, it's going to be a whole, whole different result. Okay. That was David Poyle talking about the changes made to the roster. And the big takeaway I have from his comments were the combination of the skill and the will and saying that as in a sense of moving away from the most skilled lineup that the team has ever had. I find this very interesting because what he said was you, you win when your best players are being your best players. And that wasn't always the case last season, the season before. And we've seen an off season where we have shipped out players and brought in players. And I think the main takeaway from a lot of people who pay attention to these things is that you're replacing players with players that don't have as much of an offensive upside. And I think one of the mistakes that people could be making when they hear this is that he's basically saying, well, the team's getting worse. But what I think he's actually saying, and I think he made it fairly clear, was that they want to focus on bringing in players who can do what they need to do on the ice, but are also going to do it in such a way that will motivate, drive, and inspire the other players to do the same thing in order to draw those performances out of those top players. Now, I don't want to get into why maybe that wasn't happening before. I really don't think we have enough time for that here on this episode. But I do want to say that my main takeaway from that comment is that Poyle feels like they've brought in players that are going to give the team a different look. They're going to give the team more of an edge. They're going to allow the top line, uh, the Matt Duchesne, uh, of of the second line to do what they were brought in to do, and that's produce offense. Um, whereas they'll be leaving a lot of these other players to do a lot of the gritty work, a lot of the, you know, go, going hard into the corners, um, disrupting in front of the net, taking on a larger role on the penalty kill. And so I think this is his way of saying, look, going with all skill didn't work. We're going to try to bring in and I don't want I don't like the term grit I don't like the term edge but he wants to bring in players that have a different element to them and I think that element is that they are playing with 
a specific drive, a never quit attitude that he's hoping will lift up the other players on the top lines into the roles that they have been expecting from them for a while now. Definitely. Um, I'm like you, I'm not a huge fan of the word grit, but I do recognize that it is a, it's an important part of hockey. I mean, it's hockey as a sport and um, I can, I can understand that argument. I think one of the things that confused me a little bit is that, you know, you talk about, you can say what you want to say about Craig Smith, for example. Um, and, and again, I said, we said before, Benino made, it made sense as a uh, you know business decision, but you know, Benino was a guy that, you know, checked all the boxes about what, what Poyle was saying he wanted. And I found that a little curious just for the fact that, you know, you had some guys like that and, you know, these were the, those were the ones to go. And so, um, I do understand it. I can say that I think this team as it stands probably does have more of that. I think it can be a little bit tougher. Um, I think your top four forwards are going to play their game that we've been seeing. Um, but you know, I will say this, it's a tougher team. I think that they can maybe win some, uh, win some close, you know, win some, win more of those close games. But I'm also going to say, I don't think it's as good of a team as it was. And so, you know, I like the idea of what we're doing. I just, I think that Preds fans need to kind of start getting settled in for the fact that it's probably going to be not a great year next year, but I think that's what's going to be best for the long-term you know, outlook of this team. I'm not 100% sure I agree with that statement, Brian. Okay, well, uh, yeah. Prove me so wrong. I'd love to what, be proved wrong. What was the biggest criticism that we had with the team last year? It was the fact that we were playing, you know, a very certain style with different styled players. It was almost sure. as if we had all these brand new Fords. We spent all this money on, on you know, the Duchesnes, the Grandlands, the Tourists, but we weren't playing like, a, like you know, we weren't playing like the Tampa Bay Lightning. We were playing the same style of hockey that the Preds played in 2013 and 2014, you know, even all the way back to 2010. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an admission from David Poyle that, you know, we we're not going to pick you know players from around the league and then just figure out what to do with them we're going to play a very specific style we're going to play our brand of hockey and we're going to look for people who fit into that style that's something i think poyle had gotten away from the past couple of years now mm-hmm. obviously you know a nick cousins is not as skilled as mikhail grandland nor is a Brad Richardson as skilled as a Kyle Turris. That part's acceptable. But, you know, look at a team like the New York Islanders. Outside of Matthew Barzal or, you know, J.G. Pajau, who's, you know, probably not a super dynamic scoring forward anyway, who's like the, who's a superstar they have? Like, I almost who, said John Tavares, but yeah, no, <laughs> that but was just no. to be mean. But no, they're and they were one of the best teams in the NHL this year. And if it wasn't for Tampa Bay being maybe the most well-rounded team we've seen in the NHL in a decade, New York Islanders had a very good shot of getting in the Stanley Cup Finals. 
So and, that's it. And, yeah. And, and to my point on that is you don't have to have a bunch of skill up and down the lineup. You have to have players that fit the way you want to play. And then you have to figure out how that style beats another team. That's the bottom line. And that's something the Preds had gotten away from really since the Stanley Cup run. And Mm -hmm. I think the moves we've seen is an admission from Poyle that that was a mistake and that this is going to be more on brand to the quote unquote Predators style hockey we're used to seeing. I'm gonna. I think it's it's interesting that you brought up because I, I, yeah, I will say as, as a counterpoint, you're. I think you're right. I mean, and, and going for getting getting these players in the system that is in place can can could be more successful. And I I do agree with that. Um, and you said you know since since Nashville, you know since 2013 or so, it's been one style of play, and you know b- b- prior to the Cup run, um. You know, if you really want to get technical, I think the years of the cup run and then the next two after it have been the most successful in, in Preds history. Now, obviously, the expectation bar got got raised up quite a bit. And so it's been it seemed like disappointments and it it has. I mean, you can't get away from that. But you brought up an interesting point by comparing them to the New York Islanders. And, you know, so prior to Laviolette, which Laviolette had his system. And Laviolette was a coach who was going to say, I'm going to get these players and I'm going to force them into roles in this system and make it work. Um, and I think this is, is undoing. Um, you know, before that, though, you see there's a difference between Barry Trotz, you know, Barry Trotz here, then Barry Trotz in Washington and Barry Trotz in, in New York. Like he's changed. He's adapted to the players he had and, you know, really made efficient decisions to, to uh, adapt to it. And I do agree with the fact that if you've got a system in place, you're trying to fit one player into your current system. And then you try to get somebody who just doesn't fit it. Yeah. It's not going to work out. But the other thing is, is that Nashville just never adjusted. And the system that they have is incredibly easy to defend. It's predictable and teams have figured it out. And, and so I think the answer might come, I'm going to, you know, ask Sean, I think, but I think the answer comes somewhere in the middle because, you know, I also put it on the, on the team for not trying to work with the players that they ended up getting. So what you're telling me, if I hear you correctly, is that you think shots from the point and dump ins on power plays are predictable and easy to play against. Oh, that's low hanging fruit, but I mean, besides the obvious things, I think, yeah, I mean, you you know what I do mean by that. I mean, but you're right. That is part of it. And that's always been the identity. And that is part of the Predators way, if you ask me. I mean, those were some frustrating teams, too, to watch. I know a lot of people look fondly back on them, but they were were pretty frustrating teams to watch. And they weren't, uh, yeah, they were were heavier teams. They were tougher teams, but. Well, I'd imagine, you know, they're a little bit more entertaining to watch. It's now. a lot easier to score on a booming slap shot from the from the blue line if it's going to break whatever is between it and the net. Right? Point. So when you're not doing that or you're not able to do that, that that, that doesn't become as effective because then it's just a deflection uh, with whatever it hits. I'm being a little bit facetious there. But, um, you know... <sighs> 
I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I really do. Um, if I can be completely honest, I, I really feel like you're going to see a team that's not going to, I just don't think they're going to look like they're giving up as much. And I hate saying, right. it, I think that's just a really, it's, it's really simplified. It's, oh, it looked like they gave up. Oh, it looked like they quit, but it's, it's all about complacency. It's, it's about, Hey, we put up big numbers and we've got a big lead and we're going to get comfortable in that lead. And then we're going to be really surprised when that lead slips away from us and not know how to catch up because We've been playing soft, so the other teams rested up, and now they're ready to go. We've kind of been lulled into this sense of complacency. When you have players that are willing to be a little bit more aggressive, a little heavier, if you will, be a little bit more agitators, uh, number one, the other team, and I, I want to go back to what something that Dan Hynote said. If you're doing all the right things in the first and second period, if you're finishing your checks, if you're doing what you need to do, the other team will be worn down. And I really think that's what you saw happening was that you saw a Predators team that was putting up big numbers and then resting on their laurels, and that allowed the other team to not be worn out, and they were able to mount these massive comebacks in the third period. What was scarier than a, a lead going into the third? Nothing, except maybe that's true. Maybe the team being on the power play. Um, no, no rim shot there. Okay. No, because that's not a joke. It's yeah. just a sad truth. Um, I mean, I'm sure we can edit in a rim shot. <laughs> edit I'm in not a rim going shot to. Or the sound sad, of sad, or, sad, sad orchestral music. Someone um, weeping in the corner. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we could all go on this subject quite a bit. And I right. think, again, I think the answer is in the middle of all three of us. I think the first part of it was addressed. The part I brought up was addressed by LaViolette being fired. Um, right. I think part of that that complacency from the players was part of it might have been just the will of, of them, you know, individually. But I think also it's, we know what's going to happen and we know how we're going to get deployed. So, you know, we know what's getting ready to happen, but it, again, it also could be that some players were just weren't, weren't doing it. And so I think this is the second half of Poyle trying to fix that. I think, I think Hines is a player as a, as a player, as a coach who, is going to still emphasize that, you know, more heavy hockey, like you said, but he's also going to, you know, he puts an emphasis on shot quality, which warms my heart. And so, um, yeah, I really do think that this is Poyle's, you know, attempt to, to fix those issues and, you know, we'll see if it works and if it was too late. Um, but again, well, that's a subject for another day, I think. I think I think this is a really good segue into the next clip from Poyle that we're going to take a listen to. Don't you guys think? I think so. Yeah, I, and I what what you're going to hear now is you're going to hear David Poyle, the general manager of the Predators. Uh, this is from his opening commentary before it was opened up to questions. So this was not something that had to be drawn out of him. Something he offered up freely. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. Uh, today, Kevin wanted me to talk uh, with you about uh, free agency. So, uh, uh, our, our objectives going to free agency were to kind of to retool our team a bit, uh, uh, specifically strengthen our our forwards, uh, be a harder group of forwards to play against, and then also to uh, improve our third pair defensive pair. And I think uh, by the signings uh, that we've made, that we've accomplished uh, those goals. All right. 
So you heard what Poyle had to say, and so for a reaction, I'm going to send it over to Nick. Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest way to sum it up was that Poyle views this offseason, or at least verbally, um, as a success. Um, and I think that's important to note because there is a lot of fans on Twitter that disagree with that. You know, a lot of people thought, you know, anything short of a Taylor Hall or another big Ford to kind of fill that gap was going to be viewed as a failure or a step back. But I, I think what Poyle's talking about here and you saw this in the types of signings they had is they were looking for very specific people and they were going to fill the gaps, so to speak, with players from Milwaukee or prospects who are on the verge of maybe getting a chance to perform in the NHL. So with that in mind, I think Poyle did accomplish everything he said he was going to accomplish and that is to bring in pieces that shake the team up a little bit, give them a different dimension. Sean, I know you'd mentioned a couple times they they want to play a different style than what they've been playing. They want to play a, be a little bit tougher, you know, less pretty, more gritty, so to speak. Um, and from that angle, uh, Poyle nailed it. Now, did they go after Taylor Hall? Did they go after Tyler Toffoli? We're, we don't know. Um, you know, so if, if that's, if that's it, then we don't know, but based on what Poyle has said they want to do and the types of players they want to bring in, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I would say that pretty much nailed his checklist. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into it too much cause I'm going to write something about this. Um, it did check every box on his checklist um it was the checklist that he started on a little bit after the draft and then he went into more detail um today about i'm not sure i fully agree that it was his checklist from the beginning um but you're right less pretty more gritty that's you know that's a good slogan you got copyright that right now um there go. yeah but i think that's it did and so um you know, some people might disagree with not getting some of those guys, and I can I can understand that. But I do think that it allowed the team to do something else that I'm actually was really adamant about them doing, and it's the subject of of the the next clip we're going to play. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and play that now for you and and discuss that. David, as you mentioned before, you do find yourself in an enviable position among your other general managers in terms of the cap space that you currently have. I know that teams have used that cap space as an asset um, to uh, to acquire pieces, either current or future. Do you have an appetite for using your cap space as an asset to acquire pieces like that? I have an appetite to improve our club whenever we have a chance to improve our our club. Uh, my appetite is to sign the right right player, not just sign a player for the sake of signing a, uh, a player. So it's, it's going to be uh, timing. I mean, as I said earlier, there's still some players out there uh, that uh, agents are call uh, are calling us about that we've we've talked about. Uh, there's there's also teams that are calling because they they want to make a deal, a hockey deal. There's other teams that are calling because they're in cap. Uh, problem that they're not compliant so there's there's still a lot of things out there 
but you know maybe the maybe we've done enough maybe the uh, maybe we get off to a good start we play well and maybe we're a, a buyer at the, at the trading deadline this year uh, all i know is i have the uh, yeah, the flexibility with the space available so when the opportunity opportunity presents itself uh, uh, we have a chance to to do a good thing to improve our hockey club all right so i don't know about you guys with that but um i also have an appetite um for for cap space um this say, is the kind of for destruction yeah yeah appetite for more cowbell something like that um beaver for cowbell that's right um i i think this was a kind of a byproduct of you know maybe the plan you know maybe the plan was to do this the whole time maybe it wasn't i think it was a it's a good outcome i think for the long-term outlook for this team having this cap space i mean it's hard to sit there and look and say i think right now without cunning and pitlick signing they're sitting around like 13 million dollars um in cap space i don't think they cleared that much space out to do just these signings i still think that a hoffman to foley or hall was the was still a priority um but I like it because again, they can be buyers at the deadline, which usually when they say they're a buyer at deadline, it's because they're a team's close to contending. But, you know, they they, should, they can be able to make moves at the deadline where they instead of having to, you know, worry about selling at the deadline. And a lot of these guys that are taking these short-term deals are going to be available next offseason. And with the expansion draft coming next offseason, and you know we've got a couple of of guys that are coming up pretty close to getting new contracts i think in two years will be forsberg and ekholm this is valuable cap space and you know it maybe this wasn't what they wanted but i think this is maybe a pretty good outcome because we're not stuck with two million dollars in space and plus there's also the flat cap and they may be keeping keeping payroll a little bit lower so uh yeah i want to i want to hear what you guys I have to say on on this one, I I don't necessarily disagree um, with what you said about this being the original plan, but I, I think that in the absence of landing someone a little flashy, which at this point I'm looking at the prices, I'm fine with it. Um, but yeah, valuable cap space because you do have a lot of things coming up, and you're already in a flat cap situation due to the pandemic um when the pandemic ends you'll probably see a change in that but because that's an open-ended situation you can't really plan um at the same time looming over everyone for the longest time is of course the expansion draft for the seattle kraken knowing you're going to have to lose someone from your roster so you see a lot of these guys that are signing deals short term knowing that they will be unrestricted free agents when that happens. And I think the team's okay with that because they're protecting their, they're going to be able to protect the players they want to protect. And in that situation, you're looking longer term. This is a smart move in the short term. So I, I think it makes sense and I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. And, and to add to both of your points, flexibility is the key word here. And who knows what hockey is going to look like next season or, or the season beyond it. I mean, that's just the state of the world right now. We have no idea what next month is going to look like, let alone another season a couple months from now. Um, you know, when you look at 
the scope around the league, and you heard Poyle mention it, there's a lot of teams in, let's be honest, he was about to say cap hell in that fight. I think we can all agree. Um, and, you know, there's there's players popping up on the block every single day. Um, you know, we've heard rumblings of, of Johnny Gaudreau, Patrick Laine, even Steven Sampkos, his name has been kicked around a little bit. And so this gives the Predators flexibility. You know, whenever we are in a stable hockey environment, to really just open up the playbook and say, hey, we have all of these options on the table now. And I agree with with Sean's point. This isn't a bad thing at all. You know, the Preds have, I think what they said, the fourth most cap space of any NHL team. I think so. Yeah, so, so they're going to be in a position to be really aggressive whenever they find that one player they really want to bring in, whether it be trade, free agency, whatever. Yeah. Um, so no, this isn't a bad thing at all. The good part is, is that, you know, to fill in some of the other gaps they have to bring in some skilled guys, it's going to be prospects and those prospects are going to cost under a million dollars, you know, to bring in. And so you're still not hamstrung by cap space. Um, so I'm going to end this part of it. I'm going to say one fairly like normal thing. And then I'm going to say something really dumb. Um, and I want to get, your guys's opinion. Well, actually I want to hear from the, from the listeners on it, but the first, the first thing is, yes, is that, um, Heinz is a very big fan of Taylor Hall. And I don't think that that quest to get him is over at all. Um, it's probably not going to happen to the deadline. Cause he has a no trade clause, which he can waive if he wants, but I don't think the Taylor Hall thing is, um, is over. And I think you're going to see a big push for him next season, maybe even after the expansion draft, whatever, um, the dumb thing I thought is that this team um, is not going. It's probably going to be around the the success level of of last year's team, if not a little bit lower. And with COVID and everything, you're going to have trouble filling the seats. And so I was thinking, you know, you could draw a whole lot of people in. You've got this cap space. Maybe you trade one more of your like three, four million dollar guys, and you just you just bring back Shea Weber. Um, that'll put fans in the seats. You have him there so that if he has to retire, you can put him on long-term IR and you don't have to trade with Montreal then to, to, you know, absorb that cap hit. And then if you can make a little bit more space, just bring back PK too, while we're at it. And then we've just got, we've got something that puts people back in the stands on in a year. That's basically not going to end in a Stanley cup. And uh, yeah, I've got way more planned for that. It was the dumbest idea I came up with the other day. Um, but I actually, have quite a bit of detail written down on it um so basically you just want to see a team with like like 18 defensemen and no forwards no really what it would be is is you get those two guys you've got some of these most loved guys in nashville history on on, you know on the defense core and then you bring up a lot more of your 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 prospects so you have your joe feline you have duchene and and cunning and whoever on the second line and then you you get some of your you know exciting new draft picks in there early and so it's like you get to watch Nashville and Milwaukee and old Nashville playing all at the same time. Um, it's a really dumb idea, and I may cut this out of the episode, but if y'all are interested in seeing and reading that dumb idea, let me know. Um, I think you also just described the Predators roster from 2013 to 2014. Uh, close to it, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Shea, Shea Weber and a bunch of people from Milwaukee. Yeah, that's true. But imagine like a Shea Weber-PK Subban pairing. Like, ooh, like, 
gives me gives, gives me goosebumps. I like that. Yeah, um, this is if this is 2012. I'd be all for that. Yeah, and again, who knows if we're going to be playing hockey in like two, three years? You know, at some point, maybe you can just go. Well, are we? You know, are we going to still be around here in a few years? Let's do it. Let's just go for it. Um, I'm cutting that part out definitely because that is a bummer. <laughs> no, you got to roll with that now. All right. Um, so we've got a couple of things left before we, we end this episode. And I'm going to throw this one to Nick because he had a really uh, a cool idea, cool question to, to pose to us. So, Nick, do you want to take that? Well, it's Halloween coming up. Um, everybody's getting their costumes. So this is the question I'm posing to you two. What is the best Halloween costume you've ever had? Well... Uh, I think mine's pretty easy. I don't think it was like impressive or technically impressive enough, but this was my freshman year of, of college. Um, and I came to a party as, as quail man. I got the, the, the green vest and I put the belt, the belt part for the, for the headband and the quail thing was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, you know, but had the big tidy whities on the outside. It was a hit. I, I won the little costume party with it. Um, so yeah, that's the one I'm least most proud of. How about you, Sean? I think the best, halloween costume i've ever had and and you know i've been alive for a a lot of years so there's a lot to kind of dig through here and unpack but the one that jumps out to me and i don't know if anyone remembers this or not but back saturday night live in the adam sandler days yes i'm liking this i don't know if you guys know who adam sandler is Um, we're not that much younger than you sean all right anyway how do you um, not know who adam sandler is do you know who Adam Sandler is? Of course. Okay, fine. All right, listen. This is important. Um, he used to do the Halloween costume ideas on, on Saturday Night Live. Nice. Weekend Update, and it was always something, you know, just kind of stupid, like pickle chin, uh-huh. something like that. So I was in the cafeteria, and, of course, everyone's getting ready for the big uh, Halloween parties at all the different fraternity houses, and I, I didn't really have a costume because I was very poor and I was not good at planning ahead. Um, so on a whim, I stole a giant serving spoon from the cafeteria um, and took it back to my dorm room and made myself a sign out of one loose leaf piece of paper and wrote Johnny Soup Spoon on it and taped it to my chest. And I just carried that spoon around for the rest of the night. I like that. That's one of those like low effort, but people can appreciate kind well, of kind of costumes. People would be like, what are you supposed to be? And I'd point to the sign and say, I'm Johnny Soup Spoon. Yeah, yeah I like I, that. Uh, I'm, I'm a big SNL fan, so I appreciate that. All right, Nick, you're the one who asked the question. I know. Um, does anybody remember? OK, well, first off, everybody has knows Weekend at Bernie's, right? Mm hmm. Yes. All right. So I was Bernie. Nice. Uh, does anybody remember the song "Move It Like Bernie"? It's like 2011. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So that that was all the rage. Um, so I got like the little blue vest, like the khakis with like the rolled up like New Balance shoes and everything. And I was in character. So like for the first, like for big chunks of the party I was at, I was just like laying like on the couch, like not moving sunglasses on everything and it worked because like you know the people would like all want to like try to take pictures with you like people's like you know have like my hands up in the air like posing like it was like it was a massive hit um and 
Yeah, I, I think that one goes in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's a good one. Pictures somewhere. That's right. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna close it out on another hockey thing, and I'm gonna do this one quick. So I'm gonna uh, I'll go to Sean, then Nick, and then I'll I'll close this. And I want to know, give me your give me your opening night lines that you would like to see for the Predators. So Sean, go ahead. Are, are you talking like line one, line two, line three, or are you talking like starting lineup? No, like yeah, your, your four forward lines. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Let me think. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to go ahead and just start with the Jofa line because I think they played together during the qualifying round and they played well. And I was, I was happy with what I saw. So I, I would like to see them. I'm not married to them being just the expected first line for the rest of the season. Um, I'd like to see how things change, but I think we could start with them pretty easily. Uh, of course, we're going to have Duchesne on the second line. I will assume that uh, Cunnan will be on the line with him. I don't know who's going to be on the other side. So we're just going to go to fantasy land and say that we're going to put Ellie Tolvanen in there because I think that would be fun. I want to see a lot of these prospects playing. All right. Third line. Let's see. Who did we just pick up? Let's put Cousins on the third line. I want to see Cousins on the third line. Um, hmm. With Cousins, I'd like to see Colton Sissons because Colton Sissons is someone they've said they wanted to see playing higher. Um, I don't know if Cousins or Sissons will play at center, it doesn't really matter. This is clearly a team with lots and lots of centers. And then let's go ahead and let's put Callie Yarncroke on there because he is responsive, responsible defensively. And then down on the fourth line, give me... Oh, I don't know. Hold on. I forgot about Grimaldi. Hmm. How do I want that third line to be? Let me come back to that. Let me come back to that. Fourth line, I want to see I want to see Richardson on the fourth line. And with him, I would like to see I want to see Trennan. And Grimaldi doesn't make sense on that line, does he? Not necessarily. Mm. I think you could go with that. I think you would be good with that. Okay. Then let's put Grimaldi down there. Um, I realize, of course, there are other players that I, I could have put in places, but that's what I'm going to go with off the top of my head. Are we doing defensive pairings? No, I think that's easy enough. Okay. Um, all right, Nick, I want to hear yours. Strangely enough, exactly the same as Sean's. Uh, I did have Grimaldi on the third line mm-hmm. just because I think he needs the defense that Sisson's um, and Cousins bring to that line. Um, and I have Yarn Croak on the fourth line with Richardson and Trennan uh, to give that line a little bit of an offensive spark. Yarn Croak's going to be the X factor to this whole lineup. He's somebody who can be on the fourth line or the first line and play really well wherever he is. So that's going to be the X factor. Um, the other X factor is whether Philip Tomasino is going to make the opening night roster or not. 
So this um, is your your what you would prefer. So if you want him prefer, on the opening night, okay. Yeah. Uh, if what if I would prefer Philip Tomasino on the second line, um, across from Ellie Tolman and, and right next to Matthew Shane. Okay. Um, that's you know sort of like you know the Red Wings had the two kids in a goat line with Brett Hull. Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg, you know, the two rookies and then the, you know, the old, the old guy uh, that, that can work. That can work if Duchesne, you know, takes these guys under their wing. That That's what I would like to see. And then I think you can move Cunning down to third where he'd probably be a little bit more comfortable fit. Maybe put him next to Colton Sissons and then have um, Cousins and, Richardson is kind of your really, you know, heavy hitting, grinded out fourth line. And then, you know, yard croak is a, is a guy that can fit there. Um, that of course, you know, would lead to what do you do with Yakov Trenin? I don't think he really came, you know, resigned to sit on the bench or be the extra skater, but um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's still going to have a lot of opportunity to play, but. Yeah, okay. that's, yeah, that's what I would go with. All right. So for me, I'm going to tentatively say Jofa to start. Um, I really, really want to put Forsberg back with Duchesne. I don't know if Arvidsson um, is going to thrive without Forsberg. I think we saw bits of that. But for to start, I'm going to put Jofa on there. Um, I'm not quite ready to put Tolvanen and Tomasino on the same line yet. I think I'd probably interchange him a little bit, but I'd like to start out with Tolvanen on the left side with Duchesne and, and, and Cunning, like Sean said. Um, I'd be very, I'd like to have that third line be a heavier checking line, not like our third line last year. So um, Borvietsky uh, there and, um, and with him would be, I think, Yarncroke and uh, Grimaldi. Yeah. I think that would. I mean, now, I'm sorry. Did I say Borbiatsky? Yeah. Um, I meant Richardson. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Richardson. I think uh, Yarncroke and actually not Grimaldi. Um, yeah, Cousins. Cousins on the third line. So Richardson, Cousins, Yarncroke on the third, and then on the fourth line, I want Sissons. I would like Trennan and Grimaldi because it's a fourth line. They're not going to get a ton of minutes. I think they could be a little bit more fun. So. Yeah, um, I think that would be good. I don't think it's going to be a lot different than I think any either of us would do. Um, I think eventually I'd like to see Tolvanen on on a line and Tomasino on a different line um, and, and seeing what they can do because I think Jofa is the safe bet to start with, but I think that there might be more more performance you could get out of, of splitting them up and moving one or two of them up or down. So we'll see. Um and so that's going to do it for us. Um, we really appreciate you guys listening. Um, make sure that you guys are following us on Twitter at forecheckpod, And you can find me as well at, at Brian Baston, just my name. Uh, Sean and Nick, where can they find you? You can check me out on the Twitter at underscore NS Morgan. And you can follow me on Twitter at SCSOTF. And I do want to point out that Brian's name is spelled with a Y. The correct way. So, yeah. And again, you can find all of us at on the four check. Um, you know, we're 
really excited about the way things have been going and picking up in the last few months. I think we've got a lot of great content coming for you guys. We're, I think Eric is finally starting to sleep again after the draft, which is good for him. Um, but we've got a lot of cool stuff coming for this offseason and, and when the season starts back up, if it starts back up soon. And so make sure you guys are following there. We're, we're super glad to have you guys. We're having a lot of fun doing this. If you guys have any ideas, comments, questions, anything like that, make sure you you hit us up on Twitter or wherever you can find us because we would love to hear from you guys. And um, yeah, so I think that's it. You know, we should, we should have another episode actually for you um uh, next week early next week with with a special guest and you'll hear more about that here soon so we'll see you guys next time